0: The scripture for today's sermon is from Mark 2, 13 through 17. The word of God speaks to us. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. But those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word to us.
1: Hey, everyone. Good evening. Um, Yeah, if you don't already know me, my name is Kale Freeman, and uh, I serve as family director, and it's my honor and privilege to get to open the Word of God with you all today. So uh, let's pray, and then we will get started. Um, Father God, as we open up your Word today, uh, Lord, we open up a very ancient text, Lord, but we know that it's more than just a really great book. Lord, we know that it is uh, the Word of God. It's your very words about yourself, and uh, Lord, we know that nowhere else on earth have you revealed yourself to us other than in this book, Lord, or or in this collection of books, Lord. So we pray that as we open it up that you would uh, speak to each of us, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a work in each of us as we uh, open up this text and we interact with it today, uh, Lord, speak to us. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, one of my favorite uh, movies through junior high was The Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, I love this thing. Uh, I watched it on repeat, both one and two all the time, and i really don 't know why because like honestly they 're like kind of lackluster movies I think they 're based on like uh, like a Disney ride or something, but nonetheless, I loved it in junior high, uh, but that being said. Uh you know, one of the most interesting parts of the movie for me was like a very small point in the plot, which is where every time uh, Jack Sparrow, that's uh, Johnny Depp's character, every time that he's captured by the British Navy, um, they they uh, get a hold of him, they take all of his weapons away, they uh, uh, search him for anything else, and then they always end up finding this, this like, you almost think it's like a tattoo right here, it's the letter P, but it's actually a brand. And in the story, he's been branded as a pirate. And in the story, this kind of serves two different um, purposes. The first one is it's a punishment for the crimes of piracy, and then the second one is like wherever he goes, people are always going to know that he himself was a pirate. Now, this is fiction, this didn't actually happen, they didn't actually use to brand pirates, but what actually did used to happen. All throughout history, in many different cultures, um, people have branded criminals. Um, Etymology is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if this is where it came from, but if you've ever heard the idea of being branded a criminal, well, like, they actually used to do that. Um, So, like, in ancient Greece, in Rome, in uh, medieval Europe, um, the American colonies, shockingly, uh, even in Japan, all across the world, there is history of people branding um, their criminals. And, of course, like, we can talk about, like how barbaric that is, or how grotesque that is, or uh, surely how bad that would smell, I'm sorry. But um, that being said, I bring this up though to actually point out something else. And it's because in a culture where we don't really want to be labeled in any way, imagine being quite literally labeled, or quite literally branded, like on your cheek, they normally used to do it, it wasn't right here, it was like on the cheek, with the worst thing that you've ever done. So that no matter where you go, no matter who you meet, If you're a thinking person, you wouldn't think like, oh wow, that brand would have to really hurt. No, you'd be terrified because no matter where you go, you would always be branded for the worst day of your life and the worst actions of your life and no one would ever give you a chance. Now, we don't live in that kind of society, but I think that's how a lot of us uh, feel like we live often. right? Because we all have this need that we we really want relationship that is outside of our past, outside of the messiness of our present even, a lot of times we find that we feel like we've been branded or labeled and it's almost as if somebody has put like a big letter T for thief on our cheek or a big letter P for pirate on our our cheek or you get what I'm getting at. But what if that is absolutely known to God and what if he would say that actually even though you feel that way and actually even though you try to get away from it and can't, he actually has a way for you to do that. Well, today what we're going to be talking about is uh, responding to the grace of Jesus Christ. We're talking about responding to the grace of Jesus Christ as it's been extended to others, and we're going to be talking about the grace of Jesus Christ as it has been extended to ourselves. What do we do with this? How do we treat others in light of it? And what do we do with it ourselves? So um, if you're not already there, go ahead and open up to Mark 2, uh, verses 13 through 17. Um, as we read in this text just a couple of moments ago, you're not going to see the word "grace, but grace as a concept, and grace as a practice is all over the, these uh, five verses. And basically here's the context. Uh, after Jesus has healed the paralytic and he's uh, at the city called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, he leaves the, he leaves the city, He goes out to the sea shore where he had already called many other disciples. Except for this time, he's going to have a little bit of pushback. People are going to question the kinds of people that he has called to discipleship. And then we're going to see really what he has to say about that. So uh, as we look at this text today, you're going to hear three things. You're going to hear about, uh, first of all, the heart and the actions of Jesus Christ. Then we're going to talk about the heart and the actions of the scribes, of the Pharisees. And finally, we're going to look at really what these truths should do as far as shaping our hearts and our actions. So the first thing that I want you to see in this text today is that Jesus calls sinners to discipleship. Let's read again verse 13 through 15. It says, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So what we see here is this idea where uh, Jesus shows up and he calls people to follow him. This is uh, discipleship language. This is Bible talk for, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to come to me. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be my apprentice. I want you to not just learn my teachings, but I want you to learn and adopt my way of life. And he says this to this guy named Levi, who's a tax collector. Um, Maybe you've been a part of the church for at least a little bit, and if so, you've Probably heard that like tax collectors weren't like the greatest of people. Um, and, and you'd be right about that, but I want to put a little bit more flesh on those bones. Um, Judea was under the subjugation of the Roman Empire, and they were just one of many different countries that could say the same thing. Um, Plenty of taxes were given to them. Some were given by Roman citizens, but some were actually done by these ethnic tax collectors. So essentially it was like whoever the people were who were being taxed, one of their own was the one who was taking the tax. And Levi was one of these people. Now, whenever he uh, sees Levi at this uh, tax booth, he says, hey man, follow me. And not only does he do that, here's what's kind of funny. He says, follow me, but then he follows Levi to Levi's house. And then Levi uh, has all of his tax collector friends apparently there and uh, all these sinners. And these are people that really the first century Jew, all of their countrymen, would have totally rode off for two reasons. And that's because these guys would have been both traitors as well as thieves. They're traitors because they're helping the Romans out in taxing God's people, and they're traitors because the Romans. Um, really depended on the idea of greed to be able to pay these guys because they just assumed that they would take a little bit extra taxes off the top and save it for themselves. So these guys were outcast. But then we also see in verse 15 the idea of these sinners. Um, Now, the idea of sinners here, this is different than like in the book of Romans, for example, or other places in the scripture where you might hear something like, hey, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's more of like a general term. But this is a very specific term that was used by the Pharisees, people who we'll talk about in just one moment. And what this meant was that these were people who were so far outside the will of God, they they were so disinterested in doing anything that God actually wanted them to do, that the Pharisees had made it where they were in a category all their own, And these are people that they would not even want to touch, would not even want to go near. But the really good news that we see in this text right up front is that actually for Jesus, there's really no outsiders at all. Look at how we see Jesus. We see him not teaching up in an ivory tower with only the uh, philosophical and academic elite, but instead we see Jesus teaching by the sea. He's got fishermen and commoners and tax collectors and everything else. He's here for everyone, and then he calls people to him that the religious elite and the pious of the day would have nothing to do with. Not only does he call Levi to himself, but he even hangs out with Levi. He lives his life among sinners. And this is really good news because what was extended to the first century back in the day is extended to all of us in the 21st century today. And then it doesn't matter what your past is or what your present may be. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or what you currently find yourself in today. Jesus actually says, hey, follow me. Be my disciple. Be my apprentice. Uh, learn my teaching and adopt my way of life. Says so there for us as well. But now that we've seen this really good news, I want you guys to see really the great problem of this passage, and that's that the self-righteous separate themselves from sinners. Uh, In verse 16, let's pick it up again. It says, The scribes of the Pharisees, whenever they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. All throughout history, as people have followed God, there's an ebb and a flow of every country and every culture and every society, both to and away from following God. And whenever this happens, whenever people move away from uh, following God and the true faith, people like reformers show up. So whenever uh, in their day, people like Martin Luther or John Calvin, whenever they saw the leadership of their day that was involved in grotesque moral failure and doing all kinds of things and just really violence to the text that is the scriptures... They rose up kind of unknowingly as reformers and they said, hey, the leadership ought not be this way. We should follow Jesus Christ. We should do these things and we should uh, return to the scriptures. We should memorize them. We should interpret them correctly. We should return to the right belief. Now, what's really interesting though, um, in a church culture like ours uh, here at Frontline, like these guys can be looked up to and, and probably rightly so. But what's crazy is I can almost say the same exact thing about the Pharisees. Now, what I mean by that is, they're, of course, the bad guys in our text today, but historically, they did not start that way, and they're really this great warning for all of us. You see, we don't really have a whole lot of information about Pharisees outside of the biblical witness. In fact, um, there's only, like, one other person other than the Apostle Paul who we have in written manuscripts that even says that he was a Pharisee. They were very obscure. But what we do know about these guys is that they probably found their start during the Babylonian captivity, which is talked about in the Old Testament. The Pharisees aren't mentioned there, but scholars believe that's where it started. And that's because God's people were again under subjugation of a very godless culture. And God's people were going towards all kinds of things other than God. They were going towards a godless culture, a society and norms and values that um, were against God and against his will. So the people started saying, like, how are we supposed to like, live faithfully to God in a culture that's going absolutely bananas crazy. Does that sound familiar? Right? And what came out of that was the Pharisees. And these guys returned to the scriptures. And they called others to return to the scriptures. And in many ways, Jesus agreed with the Pharisees on a vast number of things. We're talking uh, resurrection from the dead, reward in heaven, the value of the scriptures. He agreed with them on a load of things but somewhere along the way, they lost their way, and they lost their noble cause, and instead they fell into sin. You see, Pharisee, uh, the actual word comes from a mixed etymology. Um, some people think that it means interpret. Some people uh, think that it means uh, to separate, which is like really interesting, because their interpretation of the Bible was that they were to separate themselves from sinners. See, what they believed... Is that the way that they could be righteous was to actually exclude themselves from the unrighteous. There's a lot of reasons for that, but that was their overall belief. So, this is like the kind of mindset that they had whenever they went into um, this house, or I guess they were like looking on the outside, we don't know. And they asked Jesus' disciples, they say, Okay, so why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why would a rabbi, a teacher, why would someone who knows our Text and knows our religion, why on earth would they go and defile themselves with these people? And that's what they saw because they knew that they had to be separate from others. But uh, guys, this is a warning to us. So we have to ask how are we separating ourselves from others? And what do our feasts look like? Maybe God is calling a name to you right now and saying, like, hey, this person, do you remember them? Maybe you're thinking of them right now and you can see someone in your mind's eye who you remember because they were just quite morally off-putting. You felt like you almost couldn't be around them because you wanted to be separate from them because you felt like they were just not good enough for your presence. Who do you separate yourself from? But um, the Pharisees also contrast Jesus in a second way, and that's that they were inherently self-righteous. Again, verse 17 says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Excuse me. So um, what the Pharisees basically did, they, they had categorized people in a specific group of people. They had branded them sinners, And they had said, they are outside of us, they are different than us, we need to avoid them. And in doing so, they had to create their own bucket to be in themselves, which of course was that of righteousness. Now the problem with that of course is, uh, well, multifaceted to say the least. Um, We could say like yes, like many places in the scriptures. But you know, the, the thing that Mark is trying to do though is to show us that really the problem here is a problem of perception. Because the Pharisees were so busy looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? That they could not see the own sin in their own hearts. That they were separating themselves from them. And they were being self-righteous in doing so. And this is really the heart of the text. Because for all their Bible, and for all their scripture, and for all their knowledge, they completely missed the point. And they were seeing what Jesus was doing upside down and backwards. Because here's what it is, the good news of Jesus Christ is that no matter what you've done in the past, or no matter what you are currently finding yourself in at the present moment, Jesus calls all to follow him, but he only extends that call to those who can actually see that there is sin in them and a need in them, so you can actually miss the great physician who's here to save your soul. So, of course, we have to wonder then, what is the scripture saying to us? Do you need a physician? Or do you find yourself particularly healthy? Do you find it hard to dine with someone like Levi and actually entertain the idea of bringing someone like him into your home in order to spend your uh, very valuable time with such a person? And if the answer is no, there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but perhaps the root of it is that you view yourself in a way... That you're better than that person and that he's not really worth your time. But the Holy Spirit must speak to you it must convict you of that. So I encourage you to ask him. But now that you've seen both this really great truth and now that we've already seen this really great problem, what I want you guys to see next is really what we should do with it today. And that's that we should uh, forsake uh, self-righteousness and embrace the sinner. We should forsake self-righteousness and embrace the sinner. Uh, let's talk about self-righteousness first. Um, contrary to the belief of the scribes of the Pharisees and contrary to the belief of like, some forms of conservatism in our culture and in our nation today, it's actually just as dangerous to live a self-righteous life as it is to be a career sinner. Uh, self-righteousness must not even be named among us, so we have to forsake it, and we have to get it away from us as quickly as possible. And the way that we can do that is by acknowledging your own sin and your own need for Jesus, but you have to do it in community. Remember, the Pharisees, or the scribes of the Pharisees, were in fact the scribes of, we could say, the separatist or the separate ones. So almost like the worst thing that you could do, really, is to just say, well, let's not put superlatives on it. One of the bad things that you could do is to say, I'm just going to read my Bible, and I'm just going to pray, and that's all I'm going to do, and I'm never going to go into community in any way whatsoever, even though I feel like I have a little bit of self-righteous streak in me, because in keeping separate from others, you're only going to breed more self-righteousness. So um, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. And we have to do this because we remember that Mark is speaking to Christians here in the first century, most scholars would say. He's not speaking directly, though of course he does, to people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus yet. But he was originally written for Christians, so he's warning us. So um, one way that we can do that, just put flesh on the bones, is by attending a small group at our church. Um, you guys, if you've been here a few weeks, you've probably heard us talk about these. We have a few different groups. I think it's like 15 or so, and these guys meet uh, throughout our city. Many of you guys are in them. I know I can see your faces from here, uh, and. In going to those things, what we're doing there is it's a place for us to be known and to know one another. And just going to one of these things is not going to magically take more Pharisee out of us, but actually going and actively participating in them, actively confessing our sins, actively burying our souls to one another, which you don't have to do on the first time, by the way, if that seems intimidating. Uh, but um, when whenever you go and actually do these things, what you do is you actually Show each other your, uh, your, both your gold and your shadow in your life. And whenever you do that, you might actually find out that your sin is not very different from the sin of others and that you need a Jesus just like they need Jesus. So uh, the second thing is that we need to embrace the sinner. To merely say that I'm not going to run away from people who are morally, um, let's say, a little uh, worse off than I is only going halfway. If we just say, Well, I'm not going to actively run from them, that's one thing, but we actually have to pursue them. And the reason why we do that is because Jesus is not just our Savior, but He is also our example. And what we see again in Jesus in the beginning of this passage is, is He's Uh, walking in, and he's uh, calling all kinds of people to him, and he's going to Levi's house, and he's hanging out with Levi's friends, and he's living among them in a very real way. And if we just say, well, I just want actively avoid people that are different than me, then we really are going to have kind of a lackluster faith where we never really feel like we're ever on mission, and no one wants to feel that way whenever you hear about the glory of Christ and the great things that you can uh, see within his good news. So, the way that we can do that is by moving towards those who seem morally off putting to you. Um, it's hard for us to remember, and it's hard for me to remember as well, that the kingdom of heaven is not first and foremost coming here to take stress off of our life and to make our lives a little bit easier, and to make our lives in such a way that we're able to, um, you know, give promotions and all these very nice things that we all say that we don't want, but we really do, and, you know. Um, It's not first and foremost for that, but actually it's first and foremost for giving the message of the great physician to our friends and our brothers and sisters who we might categorize as morally just kind of uh, too hard to love. And whenever we do these things... um, Well, let's just say this, if that is the reason for the kingdom of God, and if that is the message that we are bringing, and if Jesus says it's only for the sinner and the spiritually sick, then how can it possibly be off-putting to us to go and talk to them or to not talk to them simply because they talk and they act in a way that seems like they haven't met the great physician yet? So one of the ways that you can do that, um, again, just to put a little bit more detail on it for you, uh, we talk a lot about having your three, maybe you've had us talk about this. This is the idea of you select three people in your life, um, why not two or four? It's just easy to remember and it's achievable. Um, You select three people in your life who may not know what they believe about Jesus yet, And you commit to praying for them and you commit to prioritizing time with them. This is not something where you're making someone into a project piece or something like that. But actually what it is is you're saying, I know that I'm limited in time and space and in energy. And I know that I have a calendar and I have a to-do list and I prioritize tons of other things in my life. And because I love Jesus and I want others to meet this great physician... I'm going to prioritize a couple of people who don't already know him to be able to pray for them and actually hang out with them. And we do this as a spiritual discipline. This is difficult, but this is really where a lot of the fun and a lot of the fruit of the Christian life comes. So um, you guys have heard today three different things. You've heard that Jesus calls sinners to discipleship. You've heard that the self-righteous separate themselves from sinners And that you've heard as well that we must forsake self-righteousness and embrace the sinner. Um, I I really challenge every one of us here to really think about today before we leave because here in a second we're gonna get up and we're gonna do communion and we're gonna pray and do all these things together. But um, I just challenge you to really ask the Holy Spirit and think, is there someone that I have separated myself from simply because they seem a little bit beneath me or simply because they're not good enough for me or smart enough for me or perhaps too morally reprehensible for me? And how do I need to uh, follow after them now? Likewise, if you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit more like Levi and I don't really know uh, what I think about Jesus, I would just encourage you before you leave today to just maybe pray for the first time and talk to him about this grace that has been extended to you, no matter your past or your uh, present or anything you might find yourself in. And we do these things because, you know, um, kind of a picture, a beautiful picture that's here that's not so much in the text, but it's within the entirety of the Old Testament, as well as um, our, uh, uh, let's say, like church history and whatnot, is that this is not the last time that we see Levi the tax collector. Levi the tax collector actually goes by a different name, and that's Matthew the evangelist. This guy is the one who goes on to write the book of Matthew under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And while that's kind of a one time thing, uh, I think it's just a beautiful picture of how wonderful and how great of a thing it would be if. We actually lived a life that was like the life of Jesus Christ where we moved towards sinners because we would see not just people who we think are a little, um, let's say, different than us come to Jesus, but we would see generations of faith and the ripples that would go out for years and years to come. So uh, let's pray and then we will move into communion. So Father, we uh, open up your text, Lord, and we see all these things in here. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would take the warnings in this text very seriously. Lord, we pray that we would apply them to our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, come in such a way that we have uh, just such an uh, amazing amount of joy that, uh, for whenever we see such grace in uh, these text, Lord, that is extended to us, Lord, no matter what we've done in our past or in our present or anything like that. And Lord, we pray uh, now and we say, Lord, thank you so much for these things. And uh, Lord, we pray that they would uh, go down into each and every one of our souls. Amen.